0: Solemn Literary Press. I'm your host, Riley Bounds, and this is a Solemn podcast where we discuss and examine the intersection of the modern renaissances in evangelical literature, philosophy, and spiritual formation. Today, I'm excited to have editor Connor Sweetman on the podcast. Connor Sweetman enjoys thinking about artistic and literary things. He is a founder and senior editor of Ecstasis Magazine based out of Toronto, Canada. More information will be given in the show notes including a link to ecstasis website if you want to find out more so connor welcome and thanks for joining me today thanks so much for having me it's an honor to be here yeah honor to have you so just tell us a bit about yourself generally
1: yeah i am in canada i'm one of very few canadians that i end up interacting with in this kind of online literary world (laughs) so uh, I always have to stake my claim there but I um, yeah I've been doing kind of editorial uh, writerly and artistic things for a long time but also mixed with um, a lot of kind of marketing and digital marketing and graphic design and uh, I just have a passion for all those things and the way they intersect um, especially in ways that point to Um, just the importance of faith and the way that plays out in our daily life.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. So how did you come to Christ?
1: Yeah, um, so I grew up in, uh, as many people knew, I grew up in a Christian environment with my family, Uh. my dad was actually the dean of students, he's not a pastor, but he is a dean of students at the Christian university that I went to, um, so yeah, faith always been a big part of my life, but definitely um, became a lot more important Uh in kind of my teenage years where i got super invested with um just kind of a a youth group like a really thriving youth group where all my best friends were and Mm -hmm. we'd meet on friday nights and just kind of have like friday night worship and pray and all that good stuff from like 6 p.m to midnight on, on our fridays we were rebellious teenagers but then, ironically, um, I actually did. I went to Christian. I went to a Christian university, and uh, actually, for a few years, kind of went through a crisis of faith. Even after that, where um, kind of before and then very uh, charismatic and experiential, and kind of um, very yeah experiential meeting with God. Um, but then, when I felt like kind of the intellectual or even like the obedient side of things was lacking. Uh, My faith really kind of crumbled a little bit. So I went through a great, well, a hard but good um, process during kind of the middle university years of um, falling back in love with God on a intellectual and just all around kind of full obedience level where it wasn't just about kind of feeling his presence and if I wasn't feeling it I wasn't uh I wasn't close to him but just kind of a more holistic view of my relationship with God so yeah like later uh, mid to late university is when I would say it just all kind of came together in a
0: much more serious um and fruitful way fascinating yeah, you know, you're the second person I've had on the podcast now to say that they kind of found God more in university, um, mm-hmm. and just uh, yeah, life after that and living yeah. it closer. Um, do you uh, describe yourself as part of any uh, particular denomination right now? Um, yeah, I, I
1: my wife is actually a pastor at or a children's pastor at a Christian Missionary Alliance church here in Canada. Um, So denominationally, it's CNMA. I don't actually know what that falls under, but it's kind of a branch of like, I don't even know, I'm not, I'm going to be out of my depth here, but it's kind of an offshoot of uh, free Methodism, Baptist, but also, um, yeah, just kind of a little less uh, stringent in some ways and kind of more formalized denominations might be.
0: So kind of an amalgamation of the of Baptists and Methodists in a way.
1: Yeah. And I might be speaking out of my death. That might be completely wrong, but that's just my understanding of it.
0: <laughs> okay. Pretty orthodox uh, overall. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any particular denomination in Canada that's kind of bigger than um, most down here in America?
1: No. Like, honestly, it it's funny. Like, I, it, I read a lot of journalism and stuff from the U.S., um, and it seems like just kind of the like the SBC, the the different Presbyterian denominations, like they're just such a intense convening body that is really not as present in Canadian church life. It's kind of a lot more uh, the boundaries are a little bit more blurred and, um, mm-hmm. and and that just might be my personal experience, but it definitely doesn't have like intense, denominational allegiances like i sometimes see
0: in america that can sometimes be a good thing i think
1: yeah i would honestly agree yeah
0: so when did your love of literature begin
1: Mm -hmm. uh so again growing up it, it all kind of crystallized um in my university years but i do remember moments and and uh stories of just kind of being on my living room floor with a stack of paper and just drawing and writing for hours on end. And that was kind of like my the pastime that gave me the most pleasure and passion. Um, and I remember writing a, uh, an offshoot of the Lord of the Rings trilogy when I was a kid, like quite young. And uh, it was, I can't even remember what it was called, but uh, it had like spins on all the main characters. Like Frodo was, was, yeah, I can't actually, it's something along the lines of like TOFO or something like that. And there was devadils and orchids, or I don't even remember, but it was all these kind of creations based on Lord of the Rings. So I remember that was all very evident, even as a kid. Um, but then I kind of went to university thinking that I would be more visually artistically inclined but there was no programs for that at uh, the university I went to so I kind of went for the second best and went into English literature um, and kind of right at the time I was figuring out my faith and um, my love of the arts it was all happening at the same time and um, there were a few classes on Ironically enough, romantic poetry, like Romantic era poetry, mm-hmm. um, William Wordsworth, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, uh, Lord Byron, people like that. Um, that was when I first heard uh, literature talked about really seriously as having like super formative cultural effects and speaking into the culture in a really powerful way and forming it. That's where I realized that it literature was much kind of deeper than my initial understanding and um, I just started kind of eating it up through that and realizing its power. Um, and then that kind of went into more modern, reflections of those impulses in like the literary magazine world. Like I just love reading New Yorker profiles and, and perspectives from different liter- literary magazines, uh, both big and small. Um, so that's definitely formed my love of literature. Definitely.
0: So, yeah, I guess that kind of answers uh, the next question a little bit. Uh, so are you a writer yourself at least right now?
1: Right. Um, I would consider myself somewhat to be a writer, but in all honesty, uh, I have realized my, my gifts and my passion are much more in kind of curatorial directions. So, um, I mean, I definitely have, like I've written, uh, uh, after university, I went to a, uh, internship with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, um, and, I worked in their kind of TV department for a bit, just helping on digital marketing. But then I also got to uh, write a few profiles up of um, like musicians like Michael Buble and John Legend. And that was super fun, just kind of basing my writing on the interviews that they'd already had. So that was super fun. And then I've written a lot of poetry over, over the last like five years or so, but and a few essays but overall I would say my tendency would be more in the editorial curational kind
0: of uh, way of going. Great, good. Um, so what's a day in the life of an editor like for you? Yeah, it's dramatically
1: changed recently where I've kind of been able to take it full-time and, and work on editorial stuff full-time as, as Extasis is undergoing an acquisition Um, and allowing me to really do it full time. But would you like to hear kind of what it was like before or what it's like now? (laughs) It's Uh, pretty dramatically different. uh,
0: Well, um, if you can just briefly go over each. Yeah. So before
1: my work with Extasis was kind of last few hours of the evening after I got home from my marketing job and my previous job was working in the financial consulting sector where I was doing digital marketing for them. Uh, so very different, but then I'd kind of come home and, and look in the Extasis inbox to find any new submissions that, um, I had to work on, or I was figuring out which ones to include. So basically I would say it's kind of branches into three distinct sections where, um, the first would be, um, dealing with submissions, so kind of the back and forth with writers in order to make sure, um, well, to basically curate what will work well for the publication. So depending on uh, whether it's going to be an acceptance or a rejection or a working on it together, so like a process of editing, um, keeping those lines of communication open is definitely a huge part of it. And Previously, when I was doing it in kind of very spare moments and on weekends and the evenings, uh, it, those, it was very hard to keep those lines of communication open because they would just all really pile up and uh, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to get, get through everything. Um, but now it's definitely been awesome to kind of reforge some of those relationships that um, might have been stagnant for a little bit. Um, so that's been awesome. Definitely the more relational side of things. Um, And then the actual editing uh, that takes a huge chunk of time where I'll spend probably like between, uh, I'd say an hour to two hours, um, line line editing things or even structural editing pieces that I've decided I do want to have an ecstasis, but just need maybe a little bit more work or a little bit more direction. Um, So that takes a big chunk where, as as you know, with any form of editing, you go through line by line and just kind of make sure that uh, it's things are said in the most impactful and clear way possible. Um, and finally, it is a little bit different for me because I'm both kind of literary poetry and photography editor. So Xatis really kind of prides itself on the visuals and um, that aesthetic uh, ethos that really hopefully sets it apart as being very appealing and, and interesting. So a third part of editing for me is um, working through Uh, Not usually submissions, but I'm usually reaching out to artists and photographers that I think would really fit with Ecstasis and um, asking them if they'd like to be a part of it. And uh, just, yeah, working through the contracts and and, uh, asking for specific images and pairing it with the essays and the poetry. Uh, So it's all a very creative process on that end. That's probably kind of my favorite part is when the literary and the imagery uh, can come together in kind of a beautiful
0: fusion. Right. Yeah. And that, that is the most distinguishing feature of ecstasis is is these beautiful images. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, so would you say that you have kind of a heart for, for writers? Um, and would you say that ecstasis is a ministry to those writers or one which they're a part of or both even?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it really has always been my goal to, celebrate writers and to really um, allow them to be a part of something that they're really proud of. And not only, um, not only work with them, I guess in ministry to kind of do good work for the Lord and for each other, but actually create a space where people are excited to be involved and, and feel like they're in a community. But then in addition to that, I think, Uh, as as I just said, the distinguishing factor of stasis with its imagery, I think so often people will submit to a journal or submit to whatever, and it just kind of goes up with little fanfare or not much kind of attention to it. But Mm. what I've really tried to do is, um, pair it with something really magnificent and really something striking where they even the writer is surprised and delighted by how it's turned out and kind of given it gained the life of its own mm-hmm. um, and then I work hard to um, yeah kind of use some of those digital marketing principles to uh, get it in front of the most eyes possible and just to make it as engaging as possible because they are doing the hard work of doing incredible and beautiful writing. And then I just kind of put the cherry on top and serve it to people. And so I definitely see it as a ministry that um, people can be a part of, but I also hope that they just, uh, yeah, that they feel blessed by that extra attention kind of thing that um, Extinction gives to its its essays and poetry.
0: Right, yeah, there there is something surreal. Like I've had, I think three poems published by you now. and every time that I I log on and I see those images um, with my poem, I'm like, wow, that is that that adds just so much. So, mm-hmm. um, awesome. yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so, uh, how do you decide what to include in extasis?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's the tough thing. Um, would you be, okay, I guess there'd be three different kind of categories. It'd be essays, poetry, and then visual. Um, I'd say, yeah, like the same standard applies to all, basically. I just look for um, things that surprise me. So basically, like if I, and it's, I, I'm not the ultimate source of what's good and what's not, definitely. And there's, a, there's some stuff that's really good that just doesn't necessarily fit the tone of ecstasis. Um, but what I look for is kind of almost a gut punch. (laughs) Um, I, if I read something and it's like, wow, that is really striking. It went somewhere unexpected. It points toward kind of the triumphant, uh, view of life in Christ in a really surprising and, and, um, deeply intelligent way. Uh, I just, I love that kind of thing. And I think over the years, Extasis has kind of taken on a tone of its own where, um, I do look for a pretty distinct vibe um, where it's usually kind of more narrative driven. It's usually more based in kind of day to day living um, with elements of, yeah, just surprise and, and almost that supernaturalism interwoven with everyday life. So those are the kind of pieces that I really get excited about. And then also things that um, harken back to kind of the rich. Tradition that we come from, um, both like on a broad cultural scale, but also uh, within the Christian tradition itself. Um, I love drawing upon literary and artistic and even theological history and then interweaving that with um, the day to day life of people um, today. And then I will just say uh, I think another distinguishing factor in extasis pieces is um, that. I really really want it to be descriptive more than prescriptive, as in I'm not so much looking for kind of an exposition of our current cultural moment or a specific political topic or whatever, but I want to hear about how people live within frameworks that might be influenced by those things, but I'm not necessarily looking for people to kind of have a resolution or a tidy answer to those things, but more just, um, living in the triumph and aspects of Christ and, and yeah, like rather than kind of focusing on the struggle and, and ways that, uh, are broken that we need to fix, which are super important. And so many literary publications do that. Uh, my piece, the pieces and ecstasy are usually more, um, they're not shying away from brokenness by any means, but they're definitely kind of capturing those moments of magic and, and, uh, Glory that sometimes mm. forget are inherent to life in Christ.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's inspiring. That even gives me something to think about with solemn. How would you say we can elevate Christian artists?
1: Mm, I think um, I think not. I <laughs> it might sound funny, but I think not seeing them as. A project to invest in per se, as in kind of like a a thing on the side that we can pay attention to every now and again, but just realizing how integral the role is in the broader culture. And just like like you look at Netflix and you don't think to yourself, oh, we should really be investing in good filmmaking in Netflix so that they can do good projects. No, we just realize that they're so integral to our day-to-day living and our in our intaking of story and how important that story is in our day-to-day life and so i think if we just kind of we don't we don't treat artists like kids that need special attention but rather as deeply important members of society that um yeah that their work is inherently uh important but it doesn't need like their pitying second glances it's just like it's, it's like all other forms of media that you digest in your day to day. It's it needs to be kind of more a part of our life. So just getting it building habits of of reading more Christian poetry or journalism that doesn't feel like you're doing a service, but it's more for your own benefit and for your own um, uplifting and your own pointing towards uh, the deeper things in life and, and Christ.
0: Do you think that uh, elevating Christian artists uh, will help inspire cultural change?
1: Uh, interesting question. Yes. Um, but it's just so I'm thinking, uh, like I'm reading Andy Crouch's Culture Making right now. Um, and, and I'm just thinking like we uh, need to be culture makers, obviously. Um, as in we can't think of culture as being a separate entity that we partake in from time to time, but it's just so it's interwoven with the human experience. And so to really, yes, we need to elevate and support Christian artists and writers, but not as kind of a separate uh endeavor apart from culture as a whole but really just interwoven and giving them resources and giving them jobs and and opening up pathways for mentorship with people already deep in different creative industries that can allow them to do deep faith-based work um but not just kind of as a hobby or whatever but really actually doing it at levels that are having that cultural influence and change
0: Mm. Mm, great. Now you've already touched on this before, um, but your background is in marketing. Um, do you think that that affects the way that you run Nextasis?
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's so hard to distinguish sometimes what is like a intelligent and healthy way of marketing and what is kind of tied to ego and, and just seeing numbers for the sake of numbers. And I think I'm always kind of on that sliding scale between the two between recognizing, okay, yeah, there are some strategies here that make things way more bigger online and just in general, but then also not getting so sucked up in that in just numbers for their own sake, but also realizing with certain techniques, with certain playing to certain algorithms, like and understanding what certain platforms are looking for um, you can realize that it is easier to engage with for the average person on their phone or on their Facebook or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely aware of different trends in marketing that will influence the way of stasis is engaged with and, and digested. And I'm, I try to cater, so to speak in a way that stays true to the mission of stasis, but is taking into account the the constantly shifting nature of digital platforms and and algorithms and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I think if you focus too much on that, it can become a purely marketing ploy and just kind of all about numbers and and money, which is antithetical to artistic, organic growth. Um, So yeah, just keeping a balance between the two is super important.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in that way, it kind of seems like ecstasis has affected your approach to marketing. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, I actually would say that because I, interestingly say that because I think I've seen how when I take certain things into consideration marketing-wise, I actually see the, the readers and the audience of ecstasis get even more excited about it because they realize, oh, there's actually something going on here that I can be a part of. And so if they can like, trust that i'm keeping up to date with how to best uh how to best like platform uh, or how to best develop a platform that they can kind of have more trust and be more excited about where it's going because it's not kind of constantly floundering or being washed by different waves of of culture or platform kind of thing
0: Hmm. so how did you conceive the idea for ecstasis
1: Yeah, good question. Um, It was definitely, it's kind of gone through different renditions through the years, but originally I kind of did it as what I was talking about earlier, a little bit kind of ego-based, like I just was excited about doing something new uh, and something that I could kind of say that I had created with my own hands. So it started as a small kind of operation where I just asked a bunch of friends to submit their poetry and their photography too. Um, And then I designed it myself and it was pretty low quality, but it did give me the the germ of inspiration for, okay, this could be something bigger. Um, And then it was when kind of a few writers that I admired and musicians that I admired wanted to be a part of it. I realized, okay, there actually is potential here. Um, And I want to kind of offer a place that can bridge the gap between really high quality writing um that can bring like high quality writing with really beautiful aesthetic kind of hip down to down to earth uh imagery and marketing sense sensibility and uh be able to combine those two things and so over the last two years it's really kind of grown and around those that concept of art meeting academia and kingdom meeting culture in a in a super pleasing way that aims to revive the Christian imagination.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that uh, idea to merge Christian literature and academia, um, uh, what good do you think will come of that? Like, why, why, why exactly do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I think because there are so many people doing really amazing and super deep academic work kind of in their own silos of their of their departments or their own minds or their own studies they have like super luxurious libraries full of incredible work that they that they are just so caught up in and they love so deeply but sometimes due to kind of the academic world and even the publishing world it can just be so mechanized and really kind of suck some of that passion out um, and so I just want to create a place where that passion for literature and, and the academic study of history and theology and the arts um, can can find a place that is lower stakes. There's not much, there, there doesn't have to be uh, 25 book bibliography attached it can just kind of be a very personal rumination on how they've been formed by that academic world uh or that artistic world and be able to um kind of yeah revel in in the the inner life that 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 comes from that work um in a in an easy and accessible way
0: yeah. Um, speaking of accessibility, how do you strike a balance where extasis can appeal to both academics and lay people?
1: Yeah, uh, it it can be difficult, and I think the the main key is uh, two things. I'd say is to kind of let the pressure be off, or take the pressure off the academic writers to to sound really academic. <laughs> like I just want that I, I ask them to write personal narrative forward, like their, their story first, and then let the, uh, let those academic aspects and impulses um, undergird and add, add like historical weight and heft to their, to their writing. But um, just, yeah, sometimes when I get submissions from people who are deep in the academic world, you can just see how how um, influenced they are by that style of kind of argumentative and, and really wordy writing. And I remember like I have a master's in English. Um, it's not close to a PhD, but I, I've been immersed in that kind of world. And I understand that you can almost forget that there's a, (laughs) that there's a world of writing outside of that. And, um, you, it's actually possible to write in a much more accessible way. And so once you kind of take that pressure off, it's like, Oh yeah, I can write in my normal voice and, uh, don't have to try to sound intelligent with every, with every, uh, reference to every writer that I'm bringing into it. Not to say that everyone does that purposefully. It's just sometimes, uh, just an an inherent byproduct of academic writing. And then on the other end, um, I try to, yeah, set the expectation higher for uh, lay people who might not be used to kind of that rich and depth richness and depth of writing to realize, okay, there's a, there's a whole avenue of study and devotion to these uh, to this, Um, study that I wasn't aware of, let me dive in a little deeper than I'm used to. So it's kind of meeting in the middle of those two natural impulses. Mm.
0: So why exactly should lay people care about academics? Like how, how does that relate to um, their everyday lives? I
1: wouldn't even say that they should per se. I'm just saying that there is a deep pleasure in it in realizing how, deep the world is (laughs) in every avenue, in every category, every realm of knowledge. I think there really is an inspiration that comes from realizing that there's people that have devoted their entire lives to studying the minutiae of kind of every single topic that you can imagine and just realizing that the, the historical depth and weight that our faith and Our literature and our arts are based on is so deeply rich and gratifying. And so even if you're not going down those paths yourself, personally, I love realizing, just exposing myself to new forms of knowledge that I didn't even realize existed. And and, uh, just, yeah, just, I love hearing people take pleasure in their work. And just when you, when you're talking to someone who's really inspired by something, that that will rub off on you. And even if you don't, love that thing they're talking about, it is just truly a delight to hear someone talk with such kind of vivacious illumination about the subject that they love. So academics kind of gives is an embodiment of that people who have devoted everything to studying this one aspect, and then being able to bring that to a lay person, so to speak, and, and share those treasures and knowledge that they have, it's really gratifying
0: now ecstasis's mission is to revive the christian imagination so just uh tell us generally about that revival
1: Mm. yeah i think um as so many people have kind of said it a lot better than i have um it really is imagination allows you to kind of see a reality that isn't what the reality is in front of you so to see a better newer way forward um, and i think uh, in a time when there's a lot of kind of fear and a lot of people reacting out of that fear in every category religion politics um, i think it's so often motivated by losing what is rather than kind of seeing a new way forward for what could be um, mm-hmm. and that applies to art but definitely like Christian film industry, Christian liter- literary industry, I think there is kind of a groundswell of movement of people that aren't thinking in terms of just kind of profit and creating, uh, like, industry frameworks that are based on, um, just based on saying the same message in a million different ways that just kind of appeals to the same subsect of the audience. But there is kind of a, a movement, I think, to... Um, diversity of, of thought around these subjects and and just dreaming up new ways forward and, and new ways that we can look at things that are outside of maybe the way we've been thinking for the last hundred years or so.
0: Mm. So why is it necessary to have that renaissance you think right now?
1: I think it really is because um, we're at kind of a, yeah, like a, cataclysmic moment where media, like the internet, everything is wired to bring us into the immediate now. And like the very, uh, the very, the moment that we're in, we have to be absolutely all in for the, for the fear, the chaos that's happening in this moment. And we sometimes forget kind of the rich current that's uh, going from our past, into our future, into the kingdom of God, into heaven. Um, And sometimes we just need to be pulled out of our immediate circumstances, the immediate kind of cable news, bad news, social media, controversy. And just remember that there is uh, different ways of thinking and different ways forward that have been talked about for centuries and will be talked about for centuries. And um, we just need to those are all extremely important but like as C.S. Lewis said the the sweetest thing in all my life has been to search for for where the beauty comes from and I think that that is just what so many of our souls long for so to provide a place and um, an energy behind uh, turning our eyes away from the immediate chaos and just to realize the grand order and beauty beyond that um, I think we're in a very important moment to do so.
0: Right. Um, do you think that that uh, that chaos that we're in that right now has killed the Christian imagination um, up until up until this point?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say so. I think, and this is kind of a big part of what excesis. I have never wanted to be kind of a the critic. Like it's so easy to. Talk about how, as I kind of mentioned earlier, the Christian film publishing industry, like, is so homogenous and kind of all the same, and all that kind of, and maybe a little weaker. But in all honesty, like, I I think there always has been little little pockets of creative imagination that is foundationally faithful and excited about what the work that God is doing. And I don't think it ever died. I don't think it was ever killed. I just want to create a place where people can meet like-minded people thinking along similar lines to realize, okay, there are, there is, there are people that are thinking about this reliable the Christian imagination and and we can talk about it and celebrate it together rather than kind of be isolated and think that no one else is really thinking like we do. Um, So I don't think it ever died. I just think there is a resurgence or whatever, an undercurrent of people that are finding other people that are, just as excited about what's coming as they are
0: yeah it sounds less like um you have this um goal of of instigating a movement or something rather than um forming a community
1: yeah exactly because i think there was already there is a movement there already has been yeah people that are very talented skilled and excited about this and now it's just kind of about bringing them together and and helping people that might not even realize that this kind of thing is happening and realizing oh that this there is there is a community around this and i want to be a part of it even though i didn't even realize that my soul did want to be a part of it until they're exposed to it
0: right um so I guess that does answer the next question of whether you think there is a renaissance in Christian art and academia right now. Um so yeah. what would you go ahead? Yeah, no, I was just saying I think there is because
1: Renaissance, the rent like any renaissance is based on a mutual um community coming together with financial support, with intellectual support, communal support, friendship, um, and kind of all and diverse perspectives all coming together and working together towards um, a new and common goal, uh, played out in a variety
0: of ways. Right. And do you see yourself as kind of a, f- a forerunner to that movement or on the forefront of it?
1: Um, personally, I don't like. I've always <laughs> I've heard I've heard so many leaders leadership kind of gurus talk about the way that it's not about being amazing yourself or like being the smartest person in the room or being a forerunner in this Christian imagine imagination thing myself. It's just understanding that there are so many people that are amazing at this and getting them all in the room together. So I, I think less, I personally am not a forerunner, but I hope that if Stasis is building a community and a platform where um other, where true forerunners that are creating that amazing work are finding a place that it's appreciated and celebrated. So I definitely think Extasis is paving, not a new way, but paving kind of a, even an old way forward. Um, but I am not the contributor to that. I'm just creating a house for people to, to offer their amazing work into that.
0: Right. Yeah, it's kind of like rebuilding a road that's uh, broken down, you know, back to back to our imagination. Yeah. Um, so what's distinctive about writing as a Christian? Mm. Separately from the secular world, you think?
1: Yeah, I think for me, and uh, I think it really does come down to kind of the hope that we can have. And not only a far off kind of vague hope about like wrestling through an issue and then kind of giving a vague disclaimer, like it, it'll all be better in the end, but we can actually kind of orient that hope around our daily living, even around the, the hard subjects like the tough wrestling. There is just that deep hope that can be interwoven with everything um, that is unique to, I think, the Christian perspective.
0: Mm. Mm. Um, so along with this idea of a uh, Christian community, um, and that informing is mission, um, just, uh, tell us about, uh, your Fireside. That's a new initiative for Extasis, isn't it? And, uh, what, what is it exactly?
1: Um, so Fireside is ironically enough, a Facebook group currently, um, where essentially it kind of brings together all those Things I talk about, some celebration, community, um, honor, and, and just excitement about what each other are doing. Um, and as unfortunate as it is, Facebook does, is kind of a platform that most best allows that kind of a group right now. Um, there are kind of third party applications and, and websites that you can do that kind of stuff on. But the stuff that I've seen, it's hard to actually gain momentum because it's so outside of people's normal experience of what they're doing on a day to day. So just kind of having these sentiments wrapped up in a place that they're already going or that they're already kind of perusing, not really thinking about these things and then realizing, Oh yeah, there are uh, just deeply amazing conversations and, and uh, and work happening in this Christian community. So Fireside just kind of gave uh, a digital place for that to grow and, um, and it was an exciting little event that we had a few weeks ago called um, An Evening at the Fireside. Um, and this is kind of based off um, the idea of um, the fruitful community and conversations that would happen kind of beside a hearth, beside a fireplace, um, especially related to like Lord of the Rings, like you just think of Hobbiton, like they just the, all the community that happened around those places. Uh, and even artistic community and adventurous community and so um, we gathered over zoom to have a, a kind of a poetry reading for people that had contributed to ecstasis and a little discussion as well and it brought out um, like 75 80 people so for a first little test or event we were really excited about that um, Outcome and realize there is a, a thirst and a hunger for people that have community around this. So Fireside is just uh, an attempt to cultivate that community.
0: That's, that's really awesome. Um, and, and congratulations on the success with that. Um, yeah. I, I love that idea of a celebration community. And I think that that really just synopsizes uh, ecstasis very well as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um so is Fireside uh, open to the public, and how do people find it?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a private group, just so that we can maintain some sense of uh, community interiorly. But anyone who wants to join can join. And I'm sure, to be honest, I I because I'm the moderator, I don't know, but I assume if you just search Facebook, Extasis Fireside," that it should show up. And uh, if you request acceptance that will let you in and you can be a part of it ASAP.
0: Great. Great. Um, so what would you as an editor just like to see more of and less of the Christian literary scene and uh, on a personal level, just in evangelicalism generally? Mm. Um, I
1: think uh, it goes back to kind of what I said about um, the difference between Descriptive versus prescriptive. Um, I think on a literary level, I'm super drawn into uh, personal narrative and just an exploration of of uh, of themes and and discussions and theology and all that kind of stuff. From just kind of that more personal narrative-based exploration and how it's affected life, and and, uh, and and then weaving in traditional um and historical resonances of those things. So personally, I'd love to see kind of less people not having all the answers. Like I think we can know things and know them pretty uh pretty well. And we should argue for those things that we think are right. But at the same time, I think just less of a a closed-fisted perspective on um of reality and 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 not truth per se, but Uh, you know what I mean, just kind of realize that there's so much more outside of our immediate experience. And if we look into the past and into different communities and different um, potential potential outcomes, there is so much to take joy in and be excited by for the future of our faith. Um, And so, yeah, I think, and then in addition to that, I would love to see just more people integrate the work of Christian writers and artists into their everyday life rather than, as I said, seeing it as maybe like a a pity project or something that should be invested in, but not really actually enjoyed or, um, reveled in. So I'd love to see kind of just the way people, like even, even with CS Lewis, like that's such a good example of people love the Narnia series has such a formative effect on so many people. Um, and because they grew up with it, they grew up talking about it, discussing it, reading it with their families. And so just to see more examples of that deep participation um, in work that's made by Christians, even on a modern level, rather than always just talking about just C.S. Lewis, <laughs> uh, that would be what I hope to see.
0: Yeah, I've kind of joked in the past that um, uh, mere Christianity should just be canonized so we can get it. <laughs> exactly. Um, So in closing, uh, Connor, what should people do if they want to get into Christian publishing?
1: Yeah, I would say um, it really is a long game. So like if you really kind of examine your own motives and your own passions to realize that there is a long game involved and you really have to uh, see it as a deep um, mission Uh, that you want to participate in for for many years ahead. And then just start working in small ways, start putting out, start asking around for people to publish your poetry or your small essays, and just kind of realize that it really is a building block thing. Like one thing that's tiny that you might not feel like is a big deal might come back uh, three years later and you realize, oh, that was a big stepping stone into where I am now. Um, so just be active, be, uh, friendly as in start making friendships with people, uh, that are also in the, in that realm. Um, and then just be patient and, uh, really offer it to God as a, as a, as a passion project rather than expecting to, uh, necessarily make a career out of it. But usually the people who are doing it passionately for long enough end up do making a career out of it. So Um, Just have the long game in mind and do it out of a real love.
0: So what should people do if they want to submit to you, to Extasis?
1: Yeah, we definitely welcome that. Uh, You can submit either poetry or essays to uh, us at editor at extasismagazine.com. So you can just email us there and uh, we'll get in contact and uh, see if it is a good fit.
0: Great. And uh, our submission is open right now.
1: Yeah, they are always open. We uh, kind of publish online on a real rolling basis. We're always accepting new stuff for digital features, Um, but then we publish a biannual print edition as well. And uh, that's a little more selective on what goes in there, but um, there's always a chance to be featured in both.
0: Great. And lastly, are there any uh, other Christian presses or literary journals kind of like ecstasis that you would like to refer people to?
1: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, Solum Literary Press, up and coming, really great. Uh, nice. I would love to recommend that. And then um, I think places like Paraclete Press, D.S. Uh, Martin's kind of Poema series, Um things like that, where people are doing the, the long, hard work of publishing, uh, on a smaller level, but it really is amazing work. And then, um, bigger journals such as, uh, crochet today publishes great stuff. Um, sojourners, um, I mean, there's so many, but those even are less more focused on literary, literary work. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little places that publish more literary stuff um, and I will assemble a list to disseminate, but <laughs> those are the ones that are coming to mind right now.
0: All right. Well, great, Connor. Thank you for taking the time today. I know you're very busy and uh, it's just, it was so great talking to you.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. Really appreciate yeah. it.
0: All right. Uh, thank you for listening today and uh, take care. Bye-bye.